Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 608th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you the American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com, and of course, locally on Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to the American game here in the USA. And tonight, we're going to review the first game of the first round of the 2023 MLS Cup playoffs. And it should be a lot of fun as we are going to review all these games. But before I do, you know, I try my best not to toot my own horn. I really try not to and, you know, shall we say, you know, have a bit of a arrogant feel to what I've done covering this game for the last many, many years before I was doing this live audio streaming podcast. I was doing local uh, one-page newsletters. I was doing a lot of uh, work for a sports news service uh, for NBC affiliates working at the Phoenix Communications Group in their sports news service department, uh, watching and helping editing highlights to all those NBC affiliates. And, you know, I feel that my work not only speaks for itself, you know, I feel my work I go out there to basically do a job. Fun, because I like to do this. Of course I like to do this. I also like to think I am having fun as well. But the truth is, this is considered a job for me. This is considered a job for me that I am part of the working press. Whether some will see that as negative, some will see it as positive, some thinks, well, you know, you're not getting paid or whatever it is, it's, you know, you're just doing this and this and that and that. But yeah, but maybe so. But the truth is, is that I've been in the business, in the sports news field, 
whether it is written, electronic, or video. And so for how many years I've done this, my show, besides clicking the link to this show on the show page on blogtalkradio.com forward slash four scenes fire, um, I am also on Apple Podcasts. Back in the time, it was iTunes. Also with a link to Feedspot. Uh, uh, and I'm in the top 30 list of MLS podcasts for everyone to listen to uh, when you're not able to catch me live on the live stream, I'm available for your pleasure whenever you want to click the link and listen to the, any of the archived shows. And even though I, I'll be fair and I'll be honest, I, I rarely click on the link to see where I am because while it's nice to be on that list, my feeling and my hard work thrown in here is to basically give you guys the best content possible when it comes to the game in the United States. And it's not just on one particular situation or one particular player, particular topic, or what has been going on here. I try to share with all of you my professional opinion of how the game should be played in the United States what has gone right and what has gone wrong. And about, I would say maybe a couple of years ago, I checked the list on Feedspot and I got up to 15th. Well, for the first time in a very long time, obviously since I I was sick, um, I haven't really checked anything until Monday evening after I was done with my show. And as of right now, on that list in the top 30, I, since the last time I remember checking it, going from 15th, this show is now officially ranked third on Feedspot's top 30 Major League Soccer podcasts. Who is behind, who's in front of me right now? The Total Soccer Show is ranked first. Extra Time, the official podcast of Major League Soccer, is ranked second. And the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show is ranked third. Listen, I know I put in a lot of hard work. I know that I put in a lot of time and a lot of energy not just to look ahead at the calendar of when to play these shows, discuss the topics that we all want to talk about, post-match shows of the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team or review shows. But without a doubt, all of this great stuff, all this greatness that I've been going through, the truth is, I want to thank all the people 
all my colleagues who cover soccer either professionally or go and they blog or they have their own podcasts as well. Because without the people that come on my show to talk about this with me, I have no show. And don't get me wrong, I don't mind talking about all these things on my own every once in a while. If I have no guests, I, you know, if it happens, it happens, and I understand that. But once again, my feeling is this, is that I want to share this, all of this positivity with everyone that has been helping me on this show. Now, obviously, I would love to name all of you. Obviously, I can't. I don't have a lot of time in this opening monologue. But the truth is, you know who you are. You've come on this show to help me discuss the topics that need to be discussed. And at the same time, at the same time, without you assisting me in making this show great, I probably would not be doing this show at all. I would probably have given it up. I probably would have said, that's it. I'm done. No one wants to listen. No one wants to give it a chance. No one wants to say, hey, listen, you should listen to this guy. He's worth the time. And then all of a sudden, it's not there. But you folks, you have given me the time. And I appreciate that. I appreciate your time and your ears and how much you give a damn about how American soccer is covered in the United States. You also give a damn uh, for those of you in Canada, whenever I get a chance to talk about Canadian soccer with my colleagues like Dwayne Rollins um, at the time, uh, Michael McCall in Vancouver, also Anthony Totera, James Sharman, and so many others, including those in Montreal. And when also I want to thank some people who have also helped out during CONCACAF events, men's national team events, especially um, John Jagu, who has always been uh, grateful for his time whenever we need anybody at the time to cover clubs from Liga MX as well as the Mexican national team because, you know, I want to bring in people that have fantastic knowledge, not just from within the clubs of MLS, United Soccer Leagues, NISA, and all these other teams, but also the teams that are in Canada and, of course, in Mexico, because I'm trying to make this whole situation worldwide and to have the most knowledgeable people on this show, people that would normally would not get the credit for what they have done to make sure that their knowledge of the sport does not get thanked. But like I said, there's just too many names uh, to thank. 
You know who you are. You've come on this show. And I'm just grateful that you guys and gals help me make this show what it's supposed to be about. I am grateful for your time. And to all the listeners out there, I am grateful of the time that you give me to talk about the game in the United States. Because even though we all know that the main conversation is the the top divisions, the top leagues in every single country, the top division in every single country on this planet, I want to give extra help and extra spotlights on the clubs below Major League Soccer and below the professional level of American soccer. And that's why I give those amateur clubs those opportunities to come on my show when we get to open cup time, whether it be through the qualification rounds or as we get ready to review their victories in the open cup. And of course, I also want to thank Gary Moody, communications officer of the National Premier Soccer League, for allowing me to give them a show to discuss their clubs during the season because it's important to get their thoughts on the show to talk about what they want to talk about because that's why this is called the American Soccer Show. Everything matters in American soccer. Not just in American soccer, also Canadian soccer, CONCACAF, and the world. Third place in the top 30 of Major League Soccer podcasts on feedspot.com. Go to my show page. The link is uh, the third link on each and every show. I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'm proud of it. I'm excited about it. And hopefully, hopefully, all of you are too. It is excellent. And it's also satisfying to see what's happened here. And I'm just thrilled. Just absolutely thrilled that this has happened to me. And thank you to all of you once again. Let's go ahead and review the opening round in the first game of these 2023 MLS Cup playoffs. Joining me tonight from the Philadelphia Soccer Now website, it's Greg Oldfeld, who is at Subaru Park as the Union defeat the New England Revolution by a final of three goals to one. Greg, welcome back, and how are you, sir? Good, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, glad to have you back on. Well, I got to say this, uh, Union are rolling once again. It's playoff time, and without a doubt, Jim Curtin has this team going like a very big Camaro with a damn good engine. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they kind of crawled into the postseason a little bit, but they definitely showed uh, Saturday night that they are the team that can definitely make it to the MLS Cup again. Now, obviously, uh, let's get to the scoring right off the bat here. Daniel Godsdog uh, converts a penalty, but obviously that had to be checked by VAR. Was the foul really a foul? Was it in the box, just outside the box? Where was... Where did the VAR check to uh, change the call by the referee to give that penalty? I, I think it was a really ticky-tacky call. Um, when you look at the slow motion replay, Carranza definitely touched the ball before he was, uh, you know, impeded with. So it was. It, I think it was the right decision. It's, you know, a tough decision if you're a New England fan, but it, it was certainly the right decision. He touched the ball before contact. So it's going to be a penalty. And then their second goal for the Union came in the 26th minute. Uh, Hoor got uh, the opportunity to take advantage of a spilled ball by the goalkeeper, and he smacked it in, uh, making it 2-0. And once again, uh, I think Hoor has done a good job this season whenever he's called upon the sub in, and he's been able to convert chances. Yeah, it was, it was a big goal for him. It was his first playoff goal. Um, he has a knack for being in the right place at the right time. He's kind of a he's kind of a natural goal scorer, and he hasn't had a great run of form this year compared to last year. So it was, you know, it was good to see him get on the score sheet because the Union are definitely going to need him if they're going to advance in the playoffs. Absolutely, and then Harriel. My God, what a rocket! That had to be really something special. Three goals in a span of 18 minutes for the Philadelphia Union to go out there and dominate that opening 45. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year we got spoiled a little bit with the, you know, the breakout scoring at the end of the season. And it was kind of something that really separated them from the rest of the pack that, you know, helped them um, move towards the, the MLS Cup final. So it's something we haven't seen that much this year. So for them to score three goals and a half is really big. Uh, There's been a lot of games where they've really struggled offensively. So for them to be able to do it in such a short span kind of gives the Philly fans hope that this is the team that we knew could could show up in the playoffs and the team that we knew could, could advance deep into the playoffs. It's just a team that we haven't quite seen a whole lot of this year, which was kind of the disappointing part of it. It really was. Obviously, Gustavo Bo converts one in the 68th minute for the Revolution. Really nothing much there. New England falls three goals to one in game one of the playoffs. Uh, There was a moment, though, early in the match where you probably were worried because Chocolai nailed that shot really well. Unfortunately for the Revolution, it nails the bottom of the bar. It bounced. Thankfully, on the outside of the goal line and then away from Andre Blake. And I don't know if Andre Blake uh, caught it on time or he was screened and missed it. But, boy, that was lucky early on in that match that the Union did not give up that early goal. Yeah, they had a that was a tense moment. Um, Damian Lowe, who's, you know, now playing for Jacob Glesnitz, which is, um, you know, the big news out of the, you know, the Union land lately. Uh, but he also blocked, he blocked two shots on that same sequence, which was pretty impressive. And um, Andre Blake had a huge save late that went out that he was able to push off the crossbar. So 
you know, we're talking a 3-1 score line. Yes, the Union probably could have had five or six goals, but New England could have been right in the mix of it, which would have been a very interesting game one had uh, some of those chances gone in. Very, very true. And let's talk about Jacob Glesnes, or as I like to call him, the Norwegian hammer. If you know what I mean, those those amazing rips from long distance, how he's able to just smack it at the right time and goes right into the net. Um, apparently, he's done for the rest of the playoffs. It looks like it's a sports hernia that uh, he tried to play uh, injury on, uh, and unfortunately, it finally was just too much for him to handle, and he's done for the rest of the playoffs, and he's going to have surgery. Yeah, it's a, it's a big loss for the union. He's been fighting this for a long time. Um, you know, there's been times where we've seen him in the locker room and you could just tell he was in pain. Um, it's, and I say it's a big loss, but it's not, it's not a massive loss because of the time that Damian Lowe has put in this year. You know, they signed Damian Lowe in the offseason. Um, Ernst Tanner signed a number of players in the offseason, and a lot of them haven't panned out as much as, you know, you would have you would have liked for a team that's trying to get back to the MLS Cup. But Damian Lowe's been a huge signing, and he brings, um, you know, his toughness is is going to show a lot in the playoffs. You know, with Lessness, he kind of missed his ability on the ball. He's a great ball striker. He's great distributing out of the back. Um, and he's, you know, the, the, the reigning defender of the year. So it is a, it is a big loss. But I think the fact that Damian Lowe has played so well this year in, in a lot of moments, a lot of tough moments, a lot of good games, um, kind of shows that maybe the loss isn't as bad as you would think when you lose a defender of the year. It's very true. And, uh, but still, though, uh, that's still, in my opinion, uh, a big loss because even though, obviously, Central defenders are not usually big-time goal scorers, but when you need a big goal at a big moment, uh, Glesnes will definitely give it to you. So, but I mean, I agree. You, I mean, the Union are very stacked, and and they're very good no matter what because Jim Curtin has done an amazing job getting this Union side to play fantastic soccer uh, in the regular season, whatever tournament that they get involved with. They're always going to be a favorite whether they get to the final or not, whether they win the championship or not, they're always going to be in the heart of these games, period. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the thing that gives you hope if you're a Union fan is there's not many teams out there that are better than them. And, and I know that sounds silly that they're the fourth seed, but you know they competed against LAFC and the CCL, and they, they played with uh, LAFC in the MLS Cup last year. They played with them in, in three three halves out of four in the CCL. You know they've played with Cincinnati. They've played they've played with the best teams. You know, so it's not like they're uh, an underdog as much as they want to be perceived as an underdog. They can play with any team, and, and defense is still their key. And teams have to beat that defense in order to beat the Union. And that's just it's just really tough to do. It really, really is. But once again, Jim Curtin just just done a fabulous job. And, and look, all this wonderful stuff that we've talked about, um, you know, makes me feel that once again the Union are one of the favorites to get out of the Eastern Conference to get to the MLS Cup final. But you know, not just the negativity with the Glesnes injury, but um, we have to talk about this situation that's going on right now. Apparently, Kai Wagner. 
Um, and I'm not going to make any further comments on it, but the point is, is that apparently he's under investigation now by Major League Soccer on certain certain unsavory words aimed towards New England Revolution attacker Bobby Wood. Uh, sadly, it's they're saying it's 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 a racist term. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to go any further than that. But when you hear these things that are have just been brought to light, what is that? How does that sour the taste of this game one victory now? Now that there's going to be an investigation uh, through this whole process, it's, it's disappointing, you know, in a lot of different ways because it's something that you don't want to be a part of this game, and we constantly have examples of this happening, not just in MLS now, but all over the world. And it's, it's, it's just disappointing that we still have to deal with this in the year 2023. Um, the investigation is ongoing. As last I saw that he practiced today. So they're waiting to see the results of the investigation. Um, but, you know, he's a massive player to this team. He had two contributions on Saturday night, you know, two of the goals directly came from him and, you know, it, it would be a big loss, but if you don't see him representing the union uh, in the next game, I don't think there's too many people that are going to say, you know, that's the wrong decision. Like, I feel like if, um, you know, what what he's being accused of is true, you know, there's really no other solution. He's got to go. And I, I feel like most fans would back that. Well, we'll see what happens with the process. And obviously... I'm just hoping it's not going to be another uh, Taxi's Fountas situation because, you know, he had two chances. And obviously, I've always felt this. If it was under the heat of competition, and I'm not, I'm not condoning it, obviously. I, I, listen, if he said it, he's got to be punished for it. Uh, absolutely. All I want is for him to have a teaching moment, a learning moment, not to do it again. And then give him that second chance. But if he hasn't learned after that second chance, then he's got to go. Because at least he needs to learn from his mistakes. That's all I'm saying from my point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And and the tricky part with him is, you know, he's also um, potentially gone after this year anyway. You know, he's sort of a borderline DP player to begin with. So, you know, the union – typically don't spend money on defenders as DPs. You know, they've been very good at managing their money. And it sounds like he's not going to make DP status next year, and there's a good chance that he's gone. So this sort of adds to a little bit of that, that tension where, you know, there's, you know, most of the people I think perceive as him being gone next year, but he's also a very big part of this team. And if this team wants to make it to – the MLS Cup again, he's been, you know, a constant in the lineup. You know, there's there's, there's no one on the union roster that replaces him. So it's kind of a big loss on the field. But, again, what's, what's good for the game is making sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And it has to go, like you said, it has to go, um, you know, there has to be consequences for, for these types of uh, actions. Very true. Absolutely. If he's found guilty, he deserves those consequences. Well, Greg, let's just finish this off here. You've got Game 2 coming up over at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass. As uh, the Union will be traveling to take on the Revolution for Game 2. Are we expecting a win, or do you think this could go to a draw and then the shootout? 
I mean, I, I think with the big the big thing is, you know, if Carlos Hill isn't playing, that's a huge loss for New England. I feel like the Union can win that game. Um, even though it's on the turf, they're not used to the turf. Nobody likes playing on the turf. But they can go up there and win. Um, so I, I have a good feeling that they can get it done in, in two games. If it ends up going back to Philly, I, I definitely am certain that the Union are going to win in three. So I feel like they're the better side. But um, playing on the turf is difficult, number one. without With or without Carlos Seal, I think, is a big X factor if he's healthy. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what happens uh, when we get to game two, and it should be a fun one, obviously. And I cannot wait to see what's going to happen there. Uh, with the union and the revolution in game two in this first round. But Greg, listen, thank you as always for joining me on the show. Hope to have you back on again after uh, game two and uh, good luck. Are you traveling to uh, Foxborough or are you going to watch it at home? No, I'm traveling. I plan on going. So it's a bit of a drive for me. There you go. uh, I plan, I plan on being there. Yep. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot. Great. Have fun. And uh, enjoy the trip. It should be a fun one. Thanks a lot, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. Greg Oldfeld from Philly Soccer Now as we say goodbye to him. And we say hello to my good friend down in Houston, Derek Stowers of Bayou City Soccer. I finally get it right, Derek. I don't know. I I, I always want to put soccer city in front of Bayou because I feel that's more natural. Bayou Soccer City, but Bayou City Soccer is fine by me too. Whatever you guys want to do down there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just one of the one of the city's nicknames, the Bayou City. So then we threw soccer at the end, but I think as long as you've got the three of those things in some kind of order, you're you're pretty close. <laughs> That's very true. I'll go with close uh, then comes to uh, terrible. I'll go with that. Um, big big win for the Houston Dynamo. And once again, you're taking on Real Salt Lake. Was there any bad blood after that semifinal matchup against them in the Open Cup this year? You know, I, I was curious about that. Um, you know, obviously, we, we're, we were the ones that came out on top um, before. And we won our next game. Uh, our next regular season game against them, which was our very next game after knocking them out. And that one was uh, in Salt Lake. Uh, so you, you've got to think that there's kind of a chip on the shoulder, but I think the way that Pablo Mastroianni um, managed his side was uh, was very, very uh, well done. And I think very measured for playing in a, uh, you know, our team hasn't been in the playoffs forever. So he was probably anticipating uh, a pretty aggressive home crowd. So I think he had his guys on the right side of things, knowing how to use that motivation. And it almost worked, it, you know, a lot closer than I think Ben Olsen and uh, the Dynamo wanted in the end. But, you know, when you come out on the right side of some of these potential bad blood opportunities, you don't really think of them as bad blood. You think of them as, you know, well, they're just mad because they couldn't win type of moments. And that's the beauty of sports. <laughs> Hello? Sorry about that. Uh, had a little issue there with the microphone. Uh, let's go ahead and recap some of these uh, scores here uh, in this matchup, Derek. Uh, Hector Herrera 
makes it 1-0 in the 22nd minute on a low smasher. You know, I got to say, ever since he's come over to the Dynamo, but at the same time, since Ben Olsen's been head coach this year, I think Ben Olsen has really unlocked Herrera's potential and become a much better player on the Dynamo since coming over a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, I, I think what you know he, he's second in the league in assists, and um, you know Ache Ache he started playing in June, so I think him coming along and gradually learning along with Ben, because you know when you get high-profile players, you have to learn how to put them into the system you want to use best. I think gradually uh, that entire process has really, you know, come together. And you can see it as our results begin to improve as the season goes on, um, especially as we, um, you know, going into the, the U.S. Open Cup and, you know, winning the the final over Miami in Miami. And then uh, closing out the season to finish fourth, I think, is a lot better than a lot of people had Houston pegged. And a big part of that is Ache Ache, and a big part of it is how Ben is putting him and the other players in the system to really all work together well. And, you know, you can't say enough about it. I mean, like I said, that that goal, um, he was just in the right place at the right time. He's got a perfect partner in a midfield pivot with Artur. You know, one of them can stay, one of them can push up uh, to support the other without giving up too much on defense. Um, I think it's, yeah, uh, just – those type of things. And the other thing that he's doing that not a lot of people see is he's directing players when he doesn't have the ball. He's pointing, telling them where to go. And that's, you know, a sign of being a captain, being a leader, being right in the midfield, you know, being, being a general in that sense. And, you know, a lot of times it works out. And, you know, on that, on that goal, you just see Coco, you know, Nelson Quinones just, hurls in a great ball, and Coco can't do much with it, but he just heads the ball right across because he sees exactly where Herrera is going to be, and then one touch just around and then through traffic into the, the back corner. You can't argue with that, <laughs> especially in the playoffs. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's the playoffs. You got to go big. You got to go, you got to go big or you got to go home. And speaking about big, Steve Clark, you know, the veteran goalkeeper, what an amazing save he made about 13 minutes later. I mean, I really thought at that time, Salt Lake was going to equalize the match at that point. But boy, oh boy, Steve Clark makes a strong save, uh, covered the near post. And uh, once again, he's just big for uh, the Dynamo right there. Yeah, you know, the the defense as a whole, I think, has vastly improved from where it began at, uh, early in the season. Um, especially, like I said, towards later in the season, defense had really, uh, well, the team has really improved, but a big part of that's the defense and their communication, like in the, uh, the Open Cup final. But there was a little bit of, I thought they played generally pretty well, but the, uh, I thought that there was some miscommunication on some things with some players double marking and, you know, that leaves somebody open. And how fortunate are you as a defender if you are, you know, if you have to make those double marks or, 
you know, you foolishly play into one, that you've got somebody that talented behind you to be able to kind of bail you out. And, you know, they're not all bailouts. Sometimes he's just making great plays, great stops. Like his communication, too, from the back is just, I, I think, one of the things that you want somebody that's, you know, been in the league this long to really lead uh, from the back, and he does that. So, you know, there's really good leadership across the board on this team and a lot of young talent that is soaking up some of that knowledge. They really are, and it's great to see that happen. Um, and, of course, unfortunately, it did happen in the second half. Diego Luna, of course, the under-20 star for the U.S. Youth National Team, uh I mean, let's be honest, that was a hell of a shot. Near near post on the inside, just blasted it with a nice, beautiful shot in the 54th minute to level it at one. Yeah, you know, part of uh, Salt Lake's uh, strategy for a lot, of the, a lot of the game was really to force Houston to commit numbers forward and then quickly counter and hope that we would have committed too many players forward. And that's what happened down down our right wing, their left wing. Uh, they just found space. And then you had one of our age – well, he's new to the team, but uh, uh, you ha- he's one of the older guys, and you've got him trying to chase down a fast break uh, and trying to cover both the man with the ball and the mark as Mikel gets back to help – support so yeah it was one of those we got kind of caught out but you know what a shot and there's nothing you know just about any goalkeeper can do I mean you kind of hope that it never comes to that but that's one of the things that this defense has to work out and communicate better is about you know who's pushing forward who's pushing back uh just so they can help you know eliminate some of these opportunities from coming that was you know a one in a hundred maybe a shot, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you, you really want it to be a zero out of 100 shot. Um, but, you know, it, great effort by him and waited by Luna and uh, to keep the game interesting. And <laughs> most Dynamo fans, especially uh, on their toes or on the edge of their seats, wherever, uh, un- until uh, we got back. But, you know, and even then, you know, it was a close game and you just kind of, you're glad that you were on the, the better side of it, especially, you know, given the circumstances of this kind of tournament, you know, winning or drawing 1-1 and, you know, something that will just go right to penalties is not very good if you're the home team. Nope, not very good at all. But I'll say this, Corey Baird, what an opportunity he had, 63rd minute, but he nails the post, nails the far post. And I thought probably everyone thought that sucker was going in, but he nailed that. He nails the woodwork right there. You know, there there were a few of those, you know, toward, towards the end of the game, our tour tried to chip uh, Zach McMath, uh, also hitting the top of the post and flicking out over. Um, Nelson Quinones, he missed some that maybe he should have hit. Um, I think Herrera had a pretty close one, too, that just skimmed wide. So I, if this team can hit their shots a little bit more consistently, and, not, you know, it's great that they're taking them. It's great that, you know, they're coming as close as hitting the post rather than sending them, you know, way into the sands and stuff. But it shows, like, if they can just dial it up just a little bit more, um, they – this is a team that has a promising future 
that they're currently in, you know, currently experiencing. It's, you know, one thing to have a, a bright future with attacking-minded play and a solid defense to back up that play. But, you know, when, when you hit the woodwork twice in a game and you still win 2-1, I'll take it. Of course. Why wouldn't you? And it finally did come in the uh, 79th minute. Bossy, top bin, baby. Near near upper 90. That sucker was beautiful. Man, just the energy that, you know, that you could see from, from everybody. Whenever that Arrow celebration, first of all, he was our, our top scorer this year. Whenever that Arrow celebration comes out, whoa, it's special. But, um, yeah, Bossy, uh, Artur, and sometimes um, Herrera in this one, sometimes Griffin Dorsey, these players, they just, they know where to show up. And Bossy is one of the best um, at doing that. And, you know, it's it's one thing to just, you know, to be in the right place at the right time or to put yourself in the right place at the right time, rather. Uh, it's another to, to actually get the ball in the net and to finish spectacularly. I mean, Zach McMath was just then. I, I don't think he thought it was going to go in. I think a lot of people didn't think it was going to go in, but Bossy thought it was going to go in. Just given how cool that celebration was, uh, you know, as he kind of walked away. But, uh, yeah, he, you know, he – comes in at different places. You know, sometimes he drifts to the wing. Sometimes he drifts from the middle. Sometimes he's higher than the center forward. But uh, it's hard to pretty much argue with um, some of these runs of some of these players. Um, doesn't matter who it is. I think a, a lot of times they try and do a little too much. But, some, you know, because th- that whole play was kind of like, where's the ball going to end up? you know, after kind of a failed thing, and then, boom, goes in. So, yep, very true. Oh, yeah, just keep it around uh, their goal as long as you can, and it's bound to go in. Absolutely, and we'll see what happens in the second game. What are we predicting here, Uh, Derek? uh, Big win on the road at Salt Lake. We all know the uh, altitude is a bit of an issue over in – Salt Lake and Sandy, Utah as well. What do we see in here? It's it's going to be a two and done, or we're going to have a game three. I think I think that a lot of the you know your your first question about um, you know the bad blood. I think a lot of that is going to lead to pressure for Real Salt Lake. You know they they know that they have to produce here, or it's over. They have to at least get a draw, and then they have to win on penalties to keep going. That's a lot of pressure, and that's something that if the Dynamo can exploit mistakes, that's key. I think that pressure might be a little too much, and I think that the Dynamo are really coming into their own this last couple of games. You know, we finished our last game uh, with a win on the road in Portland. We won the the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, We're coming in uh, with a win here. I think we're going to win – I think another 2-1 is quite possible, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Dynamo take it on penalties um, just because if we end up getting a goal, I can't imagine we keep attacking too long, and that would allow Salt Lake back into the game. But I I like 2-1. 
We'll see what happens there. Derek, as always, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Hope to have you back on after game two. And uh, good luck in that second game in the first round. Yes, thanks again for having me. All right, Derek Stowers from Bayou City Soccer joining me tonight here to talk about that big win over Real Salt Lake. Joining me now from Kansas City Soccer Journal, the one and only Mike Kuhn joins me tonight as Sporting Kansas City defeats St. Louis City SC four goals to one. Cuny, listen, no matter what happens with this club, no matter how bad they may start the season, can never count them out no matter what Peter Vermees does and no matter what Tim Melia does in goal. This, so far, has been uh, an amazing job by your head coach and sporting director and Peter Vermees to get this team back to where they should belong. No, I mean, they, they, the, the turnaround from the start of the season to now, you cannot deny uh, what, what Vermes has been able to do with, uh, with getting all of his, all of his players uh, back and healthy. I mean, they, they've, after the 10 game winless run to start the season, they've been performing at a level that would have them at the top of the conference if they could have, done it over the course of a 34-game season. So, I mean, for for all the shouts and yells and even the continued ones, uh, from myself included, that uh, will question Peter Vermes, he's done his job to, to get Kansas City to the spot they're at now. Very true. And, you know, so many people have said to me, you know, well, maybe this might be the end. This is the end of the era in Sporting Kansas City for Vermees. Maybe he'll give up the head coaching job and he'll remain as sporting director. Maybe he'll lose both jobs. And I just said to myself, you know, it, maybe it might look like the start of the end, but I had a funny feeling in the back of my head that it was not going to be the case because he's not going to go down without a fight. And he's he basically came back after the first three rounds, and now he's showing why – you can never count him out, or, or even sporting Kansas City out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he 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 got the team into the situation that they're in, and I mean, the the one of the big parts was well, he got them into it. He he he's he'd earned the opportunity to try to get them out of it, and he he's as I said, he's he got his full complement of players back. He got Gotti Keen to back. He got. Uh, he, he got Alan Polito back. He got guys got healthy, and he was. I mean, the the performance speaks for itself. In that he he's gotten them back into the playoffs. Yep, he really did. And let's go ahead and review some of these ga- uh, the, the goal scoring. Obviously, uh, in Denby, <laughs> what a smash that was in the 27th minute. I was so surprised when he splashed that in the back of the net on that fantastic. I know it's not a volley, but it felt like a volley to me. Well, I mean, you, you would think he had, he, he had something like 25, 30 goals in his uh, fewer than 100 professional games based off of that hit. You wouldn't, 
you, you wouldn't think that was his, his first ever professional goal, but uh, look, he he hit it like he did it all the time, basically. So, I mean, that was just it, – it was a um, fantastic strike. I mean, you, Kansas City's first three goals in the game were arguably some of the, the – better goals of the of the match day up until uh, uh up until Orlando's on uh on Monday night. Yep, exactly. And of course Tim Parker, the defender, was able to get to the rebound a minute later, put in the equalizer past Milia, that made it one one. But once again, Kansas City Eight minutes later after that one, just, you know, they just kept on going and going. And Walter just converts on that uh, low rebound and smashed it in hard to make it 2-1. And just cont- Galazzo after Galazzo, CUNY, and then Kinda made it 3-1 on that laser in the 39th minute. Just amazing. 3-1 at halftime. I mean, you know, you're you're basically giving St. Louis City – I mean, a great regular season, without a doubt, but, I mean, you're, you're giving them a clinic right now, and you're teaching them a lesson at the same time. No, I mean, so one of the big complaints about Vermes this year has been his, his – and prior years has been his rigid uh, – his sticking to his style of play, his I'm going to – we're going to play our style no matter what. We're going to go in there – we defend by possessing, we control the game, and we'll win the game. And in Kansas City's first two trips to St. Louis, that, um, I mean, that, that plays right into the way St. Louis likes to play. St. Louis likes to not have the ball. They like to be able to press and counter that, basically. And what, what ended up happening is Kansas City came into the game, Vermes basically was like, we're we're going to flip the switch. We're going to let them have the ball. We're going to give up the ball. We're going to force them to have to possess. And I mean, St. Louis this season, I think when I looked it up, had had more possession in only in only like seven games this year. And in those seven games, they only won one of those. And that includes uh, Sunday night. So St. Louis doesn't want the ball. And what Vermes for for all of my complaints about him tactically changed the style for the game and it absolutely worked in their favor they they were able to let st louis have the ball they were able to defend and st louis struggled to get things going with when they were not uh when they weren't able to be the ones pressing the game and kansas city for their for their part was able to press and were able to get force uh mistakes and win win uh 50-50 balls in St. Louis's end to be able to uh create the three chances that they got in the first half that they scored on. So I mean it it was a great job by Vermes to realize he needed to change his tactics and they it worked in their favor this time. It really did and then of course it's not a Kansas City victory without Daniel Shaloy adding a tally himself in the 61st minute. He converted on a point-blank side footer that deflected past the goalie, and uh, it's 4-1. And once again, I know Amelia didn't have to make too much in the saves or whatever, but still, though, it, it's a situation where, uh, like you said, Vermees flipped the script. He decided to go against the grain, against his own tactics, 
and it worked, and it's and it's basically a four-one victory. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those games where I mean, you know, the format and everything, but it's one of those where you're in the back of, in the back of your mind, you're like, damn, I wish it was still aggregate scoring, because I mean, if it was this ser- and it was a two-game series, this series would basically be over at this point if you were working in that format. Because um, yeah, Kansas City came out and they, I mean, it, it was probably their best performance overall of the season on Sunday night. Very, really was. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that are not happy with this new format. I'm not happy with it either. Um, I don't understand why the one and dones were not good enough. I don't understand why we couldn't go back to at least a goal aggregate scoring uh, with, with no away goals involved. I, I mean, honestly, I, I just think that MLS has really missed the mark here. And I mean, like we always said, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. And apparently they tried to fix it. Yeah. I mean, if they want to do the three game series, fine. My, my I guess my biggest issue, I mean, I say fine. And one of my biggest issues is the fact that a team can, not actually win a game on the field in 90 minutes and still advance um, if they win two penalty kick shootouts. Um, but uh, I mean, the my bigger issue is just it, it's the change in setups throughout because you had the one game play in, which is totally fine. Yeah, you want to have nine teams, you got to have a play in, make that one game totally fine. Then you jump to the three-game series, and then it's back to one-game series for the next three rounds. So it's like it, it, it's just the the change back and forth between everything that they're doing. If you want to have a format, have a format. I mean, now what's going to happen is any team that wins this second game is going to going to have two and a half, three weeks off since we have another international break coming up. Because, I mean, like Sporting, for example, plays this Sunday. They they win, they're done. They don't play next uh, Saturday when Game 3 was supposed to be scheduled in St. Louis. Instead, they're off for two weeks before – or two, two and a half weeks before the uh, conference semifinal. It's, and, it, and it's like, what – how are teams going to be ready for that next game after that long of a break? I mean – you see teams come out of longer breaks with, with uh, struggling on the field. It's just, I don't know. I, I struggle with the whole concept of uh, this year's playoff formatting, unfortunately. Exactly. That's the unfortunate thing right there. Well, CUNY, uh, as you said, you're going to play on Sunday against St. Louis over at uh, Ch- Ch- Children's Mercy Park. Um, is this over? Because I've talked to some colleagues of mine, and like we said, as great of a regular season that St. Louis has had in their first year in MLS, we felt that Sporting Kansas City is going to make this two and done. I mean, that's how I feel. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I won't say it's not going to happen. I'd love for it to happen. I'd love for it to happen in regulation so we don't have to deal with, deal with penalty kicks, even though we even though even though we have Mealy in goal. But I mean, I'm not going to count out St. Louis. Not in a not in a rivalry game. Not in a game where they're going to be 
traveling a number of players, number of fans, I'm sorry, across the state, not in the, not in the game right after we hit them right on the chin in their own house in their first playoff game. They're not going to roll over and die. Um, that That's not going to happen. Um, and, I mean, I, can, can Kansas City pull it off? Absolutely. I, I think there's a I, – I think Kansas City goes into this game as the favorite to close the series out without a doubt in my mind. But will it be easy? No. This is going to be – this – the game Sunday is going to be more of what I think people were expecting out of uh, – Last Sunday, the the first game of the series, it's going to be a knockdown drag out affair. It's it. I won't be. I mean, I don't want to say it's going to get ugly, but I. It's going to be a physical game. If I had to make a bet, it's going to be a very physical and hard fought game because you have two teams that have already shown off the field with the fans that it's going to be a rivalry on the field. It's shown to get testy at times, and you add the added factor of. If St. Louis loses, they're out, and it's it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. It's it's going to be a very hard-fought game on Sunday. It really will be, and definitely, it's great to see that Kansas City. I know you got your other natural rivals, obviously in the Western Conference, but it's really great to see this Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry uh, really go full force. Not just between the Royals and the Cardinals, uh, you know, obviously in the uh, Major League Baseball, but now in MLS. I'm very happy to see that happen for you, and obviously, it's going to be a lot of fun in the years to come, and I cannot wait to see what more fun will be with those two teams uh cuny as always thank you for joining me tonight uh i will talk to you again hopefully next week and uh hope you and your family are doing well and can't wait to talk to you again thanks a lot have a good evening daniel great to talk to you great to talk to you as well once again mike kuhn from kansas city soccer journal as we talk about that big victory by Sporting Kansas City over St. Louis City SC. My next guest tonight, of course, uh, we had his colleague on, Jeremy Peterman, who covers the Portland Timbers. My next guest covers the Seattle Sounders for Cascadia FC. And this is Mr. Michael Martinez joining me to talk about the Seattle Sounders' victory over FC Dallas, two goals to nil. Michael, welcome to the show and uh, thank you for taking the time, and how are you, sir? I'm good, Daniel. How are you? And thank you for having me on Very as well. Very well. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to have you on, and obviously, before we get into it uh, with this playoff real quick, what's your feelings on the Sounders uh, adjusting their their crest for 2024 and beyond? Honestly, I love it. I love the simplicity behind it, and I like the fact that they actually took fan input into the entire crest itself. I mean, I know people will complain that it's almost too simple or they hate the same – they hate like how there's like multiple different crests, but honestly, I love it. I think it's a lot of fun, and most I feel and like the majority of the fan base loves it too. So, and that's great to hear as well. I mean, look, uh, always you you're you're not so sure if it's going to be excellent or a bit dodgy, but I'll admit, I, I when I saw the the, uh, the information through X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it now these days, <laughs> um, I liked it. 
I, I really did. I thought it was really spot on, and uh, I, there's nothing wrong with it in my book either, and I thought it was really good. But let's go ahead and talk about this big playoff matchup against FC Dallas. Got to say, um, Dallas is a tough customer, and not to say that the Sounders were not going to be able to handle them, but you, I mean, I thought this was going to be, you know, a knock them out, drag them out fight, maybe going toe to toe against each other. And without a doubt, though, the Sounders were able to get through and get the big victory. Oh, yeah. I honestly expected the exact same. As soon as I saw we were playing against Dallas, I was like, oh, this is going to be, we're having to grind for this win. It's going to be like a, either like either 1 0 or like a one-to-one draw at the end of it, but the Sounders got it done in the end, and they looked pretty good doing it, too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once again, we had an injury in this matchup for the Dallas side of things. Frazier was subbed out, and Frazier, excuse me, subs in for Velasco. Uh, Was it a facial injury? Was it a a leg injury? What happened? I thought it looked like uh, Velasco was holding his nose. So he was holding his nose initially, but uh, as he was still on the ground, he kept on holding, I believe it was his right knee, and trying to massage it. And then I've had knee surgery myself, so the moment he went down holding his knee and tears flowing, I knew exactly that it was going to be a pretty nasty knee injury. FC Dallas hasn't said anything yet on what's going to be happening with Velasco, but I would assume he's not going to be available for the leg in Dallas. No, I agree with you there. I, it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, ready for him to go in that second the second game. We'll see what happens. Uh, if it's a miracle, but if it's that bad and, he, and you can tell it was that bad from him, yeah, that that's not good. Hopefully it's not an ACL tear, uh, but we're not going to speculate here until we get the information from the club and over at FC Dallas, so we'll wait, we'll wait for that. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Fry, once again, Stephen Fry, once again in goal, Man, oh, man, he just continues to make big saves in the playoffs, and boy, did he stop Jesus Ferreira on that big shot in the 23rd minute after uh, Frazier subbed in. Oh, I, I was – that entire play had me, like, on my – I was watching at home. I was on my feet, goosebumps and everything as soon as he made the save. I was like – and I was just questioning the league and why he's not nominated for goalkeeper of the year. Like, after a save like that in the playoffs, you, you you can't fault the guy. I think it's he's good. I love Stephen Fry. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, why not? I mean, he's won an MLS Cup championship for Seattle. He's done some wonderful things for the club, and without a doubt, uh, absolutely, I think he's he should always be one of the top three candidates for the MLS Goalkeeper of the Year award. We'll see what happens there down the road. And then, of course, Seattle gets their opportunity in the 39th minute, but Paez. A big save uh, by the far post with the right hand, and boy, that looked like that was going to be 1-0 Seattle right there. Oh, I don't know. That shot from Jao Paulo outside the box, weaker foot, like that looked like it was going to go straight into that corner. There were so many chances that the Sounders had leading up to that as well, Uh, from like two different shots from Josh Atencio. Leo Chu had himself a chance as well. Like, I I honestly, the game could have been 3 or 4-0 by that point. But I got to admit, the Dallas keeper, he did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, he really did. And finally, uh, it's 1-0 Seattle in the 43rd minute. Uh, Penalty, referee had to think about it for a little bit. And the truth was, Christian Roldan was fouled in the area without a doubt. And uh, finally, referee blew the whistle, pointed to the spot, and gave the penalty to uh, 
Seattle, Rusnak converts it, almost got stopped. But Paez did get a hand on it, but not enough, and he makes it 1-0 just inside the far post. It was a, I, I expected a better penalty from Rusnak, to be honest. Um, even though he placed it really well, had a lot of power, uh, I feel like he probably could have done a little better with that. I've seen a lot of controversy also on Twitter slash X, whatever we want to call it, that it wasn't even a penalty. I want to get your thoughts on that. No, I thought it was a penalty because Roldan, his lane got impeded on the tackle. I mean, he didn't go – I mean, he missed the ball. He never got the – the defender never got the ball. So yeah. if he did get the ball then it, and then, you know, Roldan fell down, then no, it's not a penalty because he got the ball first. Did not get the ball mm-hmm. first, got Roldan in the leg, foot area, and, you know, rightfully – it's a penalty, and even if the referee did miss it, VAR was going to overturn the call to say penalty. Oh, yeah, 1,000%. I, 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 when I was going through Twitter slash X, I was just kind of questioning why people were thinking that wasn't a penalty because it's was pretty clear and obvious to me, but, you know, referee has final say, and he made the right call. Yep. I mean, look, I agree. It took him a little bit longer than normal. I mean, what, a couple of seconds more, a couple more seconds longer than normal. But still, though, I mean, without a doubt, you look at the replays and it's a penalty. There's nothing you yeah. can argue about that. It, it's a straight out penalty. And Rusnak is lucky enough that uh, he converted it because I thought Piaz did get a hand on it until the net bulged. So that's a big one. And of course, a uh, couple of good moments back and forth. Dallas still in it, trying to get uh, the equalizer, couldn't do it. And then, of course, who else? Jordan Morris. Uh, what can you say about the local? He always finds a way to be in the right place at the right time and is always a threat in front of the goal. So I have a lot of my different thoughts about Jordan Morris, especially in this game. He has been a staple for this club. He's been fantastic for us for years. This game, though, I feel like leading before the goal, he wasn't very – threatening on the Dallas goal leading up to the goal, leading up to this goal. His positioning was, was off. He was not making the correct runs. Even his passing was a little rough, but in the end, like you said, he got the goal, Like he's always going to be there. He's always going to fall, come through for us. And that was a perfect header from, uh, and a perfect ball from Nuhu. Uh, absolutely. And let me ask you this about Jordan Morris. Do you, I mean, he's like how old now in his early to mid thirties right now, I think. So he's actually 29 years old. Oh, it's close. Okay, so I was right. No. <laughs> <It's> close, <yeah. laughs> so uh, do you feel he's slowing down a bit? Because obviously I know he was injured earlier in the year when the Red Bulls were playing against the, the Sounders, and after he scored that goal, he was right away, get me off, I'm hurt. Do you think the injuries are mm-hmm. now kind of piling up on him, that he's not able to be as dangerous as he used to be? I think so. I think he – so he's lost a lot of his speed, especially after his surgeries and his various injuries throughout the years. I feel like he's going to be better suited as a poacher or like like his goal is a perfect perfect positioning for a header. I think that's going to be his best strength going forward, and he, and he should probably adapt to that. But when it comes to his explosiveness and his – and just his lethal ability on the run is just not there anymore. So that's just my opinion. A lot of people have their different – I have different opinions on that, but that's just what I'm seeing. And that's why we have you on the show. We value your opinion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> but definitely, I agree with you there. Um, I, I mean, it looks like he is starting to slow down, and unfortunately, with all the injuries he suffered, um, it's just a real shame. Such a great, talented player. I mean, we'll never forget his first cap for the U.S. men's national team under Jurgen Klinsmann when he was still at Stanford University uh, and playing against Mexico, and he scored on his debut as a second-half substitute for the U.S. men's national team. That's just been uh, a crazy fun ride we've seen with Jordan Morris, of course, going from Stanford superstar to men's national team star to uh, Sounders star. And, uh, boy, uh, I agree with you. Probably it's time for him to maybe come off the bench as a second-half substitute instead of being a starter these days. I fully agree, and there is no denying his impact on Seattle and for the Sounders in general. He's an icon for the team and for the city. Like, I think he still has a role in this team, and I agree with you 100%, not as a starter, but definitely off the bench for sure. Absolutely. So it's a 2-0 victory in game one over at uh, Lumen Field. And now you're going to head down to Dallas, Frisco, to take on FC Dallas for game two. What concerns do you have about Seattle going on the road and concerns about this Dallas team not only without having Velasco on their club, but, you know, what dangers and what threat does Dallas pose to Seattle at home in this, in this second game? So Dallas has been very good when playing at home. And we saw this game in Seattle. We saw how dangerous Dallas can be on the counter and how quick they are, even without Velasco on the field. Um, especially with Paxton Pomical and uh, Jesus Ferreira and Paul Areola, they're going to be coming down at us hard in this game. They don't want to lose at home. They want to take that last game to Seattle. I think it's going it's to be a grind and it's going to be tough. But I think as long as the Sounders play like they did on, on Monday, then they should get the, the job done and they should um, advance in the next round. Absolutely, and we'll see what happens moving on. And uh, it should be two wins to nothing. But then again, if it's not, we go to that third game and we'll see what happens. Are we hoping for uh, a draw and then a PK to win it, or are we going to go straight for the win here? I think we should go straight for the win. Uh, to be 100% honest, I think even if it's the one we score early and bunker down, which we've seen the Sounders do and excel at, I think that'll be our best bet in Dallas. Let me ask you this about head coach Brian Schmetzer. What is he really – I mean, not I'm not really questioning him, but, you know, <laughs> what has he done? The Sounders always involved, you know, match in, match out, get the victories, you know, just just – working his magic to get this club to where they need to be. I also think it comes down to the respect from the players. There were players, I, I, I've been going to these games for years and going to these uh, press conferences, talking to players in the locker rooms. They have an immense respect for Brian Schmetzer and what, and what he means to the city and what he means to the club. I think he gets the buy-in from every single player. And they want to fight for him and fight for the badge. I think that's that's the big thing. That they, they want to win, they that, want to like win trophies, win championships, but they want to play for Brian Schmetzer. 
That's fantastic to hear because when you have a great head coach that you love to play for, you definitely want to play hard for him and, and get the victories uh, for him and for the club as well. Absolutely. Great point. Um, just quick to inquire if you've heard these new, uh, rumors, not recently, obviously, but a couple, maybe a month, a couple of months ago. Um, are the Sounders going to actually look for a spot of land to build their own stadium and leave Lumen Field? So I've seen a lot of different reports about that, um, whether it's at the old memorial site or in Long Acres and Renton. Um, I, from what I keep hearing, they want to stay at Lumen for a while, but I think the plan, at least in the next 10 to 15 years, is going to be leaving Lumen. But that's, that's like, that's further down in the future. But all we can really do is speculate at this point. Right. No, listen, look, that's the hope. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Lumen Field's been a great home field advantage for the Sounders. They do excellent over there in downtown Seattle, just next door to T-Mobile Stadium at the home of the Mariners. But you know what? Let's be honest. Um, And my feeling is this, of course, uh, personally, I would love for them to leave the NFL Stadium and build a place of their own. And I mean, they don't have to worry about making it 20 or 25,000. I think you can definitely make it 30 to 40,000 seat stadium uh, for uh, Sounders games. And I know that it would sell out in a heartbeat. Oh, easily. And I think the big thing that the Sounders need to focus on, if they, if they do want to move from Lumen is still keeping it in the city. I think that at the moment they leave the city, we turn into like a Chicago fire or any of these other like uh, more storied clubs that are not playing in the big cities. I think that's going to be crucial for the Sounders, but we'll we'll see we'll see when yep. we get when we get there. Absolutely, we'll take a look when we get there. But listen, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Once again, for all of us, uh, where can we find your work and Jeremy's work uh, covering the Pacific Northwest MLS clubs and soccer in the area as well? Please. Uh, so you can find us at cascadiasc.substack.com. Uh, we have subscription-based plans, but honestly, most of our content is free, and we'd love for you guys to join us. And obviously, you can find us both on Twitter and X as well. Absolutely. Thank you again, Michael, for joining me tonight. Hope to have you back on after Game 2. Thanks again, and have a good night. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Once again, that's Mr. Michael Martinez of CascadiaFC.com over at Substack.com. Uh, head on over and uh, read up on uh, all of their articles on the clubs in MLS and all clubs in the Pacific Northwest. Finally, uh, other scores, uh, LAFC defeating Vancouver Whitecaps in game one, five goals to two. Once again, it's uh, two goals each for Ryan Hollingshead and Denny Bawanga. Of course, Denny Bawanga, the Golden Boot winner for the 2023 regular season. And Jesus Murillo in the 80th minute. And then, of course, for Vancouver, Brian White in the 27th minute and Sam Atakubi in the 40th minute. And then, of course, a one-goal victory for Orlando City, defeating Nashville at Explorer Stadium. It was Cartagena on a golazo of a shot in the 41st minute, and then nothing afterwards after that. So big moments there. Uh, Tomorrow night, Wednesday night on November the 1st, it will be Atlanta United hosting the Columbus Crew, uh, they did not play last night, the uh, MLS uh, having that match scheduled on Wednesday. So hopefully we'll uh, bring over um, Jason Longshore next week 
uh, to talk about these games. And, of course, when those second-round games are over, that will be on next Thursday. We will have a regular show on next Tuesday, but we're going to do a review of the second-game first-round playoffs uh, for next Thursday night. So just uh, join me here at the blogtalkradio.com forward slash four scenes fire for more information about those next up and coming shows. But I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Greg Oldfield of Philadelphia Soccer Now, Derek Stowers of Bayou Soccer City, Mike Kuhn, Kansas City Soccer Journal, and finally, Michael Martinez of Cascadia FC. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long and have a good night. Bye-bye for now. So long, everybody.